Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. There were 11.3 million job openings in the US at the end of January 2022, a number that has been surging as an unprecedented proportion of employees leave their companies. The Great Resignation is being driven by a range of factors, from greater labour mobility to rapidly shifting employee demands. This means companies have to be capable of hiring the right employees quickly and at scale through broadening their talent pools, cutting time to hire and onboarding employees who will improve the company's culture, increase diversity and drive productivity. Traditional hiring methods are inefficient and bias prone. They fail to predict employee success and filter out promising candidates which is why, says today's guest, companies should focus on moving towards more objective, reliable and inclusive hiring platforms. In an era of high turnover and constantly shifting talent pools, can assessment technologies really help to predict long-term talent outcomes or is it just a resource only designed for the hiring and onboarding stages? That's a key question today's guest will try and tackle. Listen to as we consider the challenges faced by larger organizations when competing to attract talent faster in a post-pandemic world of work. Hello, this is Bill Bannum and I'm joined today by Josh Millett, founder and CEO of Criteria, a talent decisions platform on a mission to help companies make objective, evidence-based talent decisions that both reduce bias and drive outcomes. Josh founded Criteria back in 2006 with a vision to create a SaaS-based pre-employment testing service that would make the highest quality employee assessment tools accessible to companies of all sizes. Enjoy this conversation that I had with Josh. Josh Millett, welcome to the HR Chat Show today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Excited to be here. Let's get straight into the hard-hitting questions today because that was quite a long intro and I feel like our listeners already know a little bit about you. So we're going to go straight into, into the hard-hitting questions. First up, much of the help that you offer is, is top of funnel, of course. Can you, can you maybe talk a little bit about the, the assessments and the pre-hire tools that you offer? We will talk about other stages later on that you help with, but let, let's start there. Sure. Yeah. Most of our customers are using our assessments very, very top of funnel. So pretty early in the process, And uh, we like to think of what we do as talent surfacing. So the assessments are kind of designed um, from a product standpoint with that use case in mind. So they tend to be reasonably short and um, uh, there's a big emphasis in our product on candidate experience. Uh, And so the the typical process is for our customers to use the assessments um, either at the same time as they're uh, getting a, a resume from from an applicant or getting an application, or um, often just after that stage. So, so very top of funnel. And the idea is you're collecting these what we call talent signals on all your applicant pool or a substantial majority of your applicant pool so that you can use this objective data 
to help drive confident and, and uh, data-driven decisions about who to move on and who to focus on in terms of um, next steps. And I, I can tell you in terms of the assessments themselves, there's a pretty wide, uh, wide variety of assessments that we offer. So um, depending on the role and the industry that a customer is in, um, you might use a different combination, obviously, that meets the, the job requirements. So we have assessments that measure uh, aptitude, uh, personality and behavioral traits, uh, emotional intelligence, skills, and then uh, other risk uh, factors specifically. So a really wide uh, variety of assessments that we offer. And the idea is that uh, customers can use that to build up a really multi-dimensional view of a candidate. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you about that more later on uh, in terms of, you know, for example, uh, assessments which are geared towards, say, salespeople versus perhaps assessments which are more geared towards, say, folk uh, who are applying for HR roles. But uh, before we get there, I want to understand a bit more from you, Josh, in terms of how you help in terms of the, the longer employee lifecycle, if you will. My, my understanding is that, you know, what you guys do, it's, it's much more than just top of funnel. In fact, you help with with talent mobility. Can, can you t talk a little bit about how you help with internal movement of employees? Sure. Talent mobility is something that wasn't even really on our radar very much five years ago and has become more and more important for our customers, especially those that are in the enterprise space that, that have bigger um, employee bases. And uh, the, the nice thing about using assessments in your pre-hire process is you can start to build up a pretty robust data model around uh, around a person. So um, we call it like a person-first data model where you're getting this, you're kind of accreting this multi-dimensional view of a person. And of course, you can use uh, those data points to make your um, hiring decisions, to make your, uh, to drive your talent acquisition process. But that same uh, multi-dimensional view of a candidate can then also be used post-hire. And you can also, of course, um, use the additional data that you kind of accrue either through assessments or um, through business performance and other things post-hire to really um, enrich uh, that data model that you have around that person. And so you get a, a series of traits and competencies uh, and aptitudes that, that uh, you have. And in bigger organizations, when you then have openings within the org um, that uh, you would be focusing typically on external candidates for, you can also use the assessment data uh, to help kind of spot which opportunities might be uh, there for uh, a person that might otherwise um, have, have reached a, a point in the org where they, they want to move into another role or they're, maybe they're frustrated in their role or they feel like um, they, they don't have a path upwards in their role. And, and you can use that same data to fill other internal roles uh, based on the assessments. So it's something that um, we have a pretty diverse customer base. It's something that uh, smaller and mid-sized businesses aren't yet really thinking about very much at all, um, just because of mathematical reasons. They don't have the number of job recs or job openings to really make it uh, robust. But for large enterprise customers, this is becoming a really critical thing, especially in the current, uh, current labor market, where if you're having trouble filling open roles, uh, you know, looking to leverage your, your existing employee base um, makes all the sense in the world. And so talent mobility is something that um, our larger customers are very much thinking about and using, using our platform for. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's go back to the hiring stage now then. Um, how, how can assessments cut down on the number of 
interview stages and speed up time to hire Josh. And this, of course, is in the context of, yes, listeners, I'm going to mention it again, the great resignation. Um, every episode, I think we mentioned the great resignation at the moment. Um, and, you know, and so many companies are, are, are losing huge numbers of, of employees to, to competitors and, and elsewhere that, that there's a there's a dire need to be able to fill positions faster, right? So, so how, how do assessments fit in there? That's right. There's the, the twin need of needing to fill positions and needed, needing to do it quickly, um, because if you can't do it quickly in this environment, you're, you're going to lose out sometimes to competitors in the, in the talent market. So it, you kind of need velocity as well as, as accuracy and, and scale. So, uh, and assessments can really play a critical role there because they give you what, what we like to call talent signals. And especially if you're using them very top of funnel, it can really cut down on the time that you go from you know, a big applicant pool, let's say you're, you're hiring um, customer service reps and, um, or, or salespeople and you have you know, 50 or 100 applicants, uh, you need a way to efficiently move those people through the funnel so that you're pretty quickly focusing on the ones who are going to be most, most likely to succeed if you're hiring, let's say, three salespeople. And so the talent signals that you get from assessments can really help you um, move confidently and quickly from that top of funnel stage to a much narrower funnel where you can be confident that the talent signals you're using are, are correlated with uh, long-term outcomes or predictive of long-term outcomes. And there's that uh, data behind them to, to show that. So you can really move quickly from uh, a big applicant pool because we're finding that even, even in this uh, labor environment, uh, you know, a lot of our customers are still getting really high numbers of applicants. And the problem is finding the good ones in those, in those large pools, the ones that are more likely to succeed. So you use that those data points that you collect really early in the process to again move move more confidently and more quickly to a much smaller group that you can focus your priorities on or do the next stage whether it's a phone screen or whatever it is. So so we like to think of it as not removing hu human judgment at all from that process, but really informing it with data and just kind of directing uh, hiring managers and talent acquisition professionals in terms of where to focus their uh, energies first. And, and that can result in a lot of time savings, as well as better decisions ultimately down the line. Okay, thank you, thank you. So you and your team, you're, you're pretty busy, and and you're you're, you're busy uh, uh, buying up and and gobbling up lots of uh, smaller companies to to improve the offerings that you, that you can then provide to to your customers, uh, and and that includes purchases of an EU the EQ assessment company out of Australia, I believe, and more recently a video recruitment platform. Uh, I want to ask you about both. Firstly, in terms of the EQ assessment, my question there is, you know, I, I, I get IQ tests, but how, how reliable are EQ assessments? Yeah, what, what, what's the science there? Is, is it not a wee bit subjective? So yeah, we, we've acquired a, a couple of companies uh, in the last two years. Coincidentally, both of them are in Australia. Uh, it hasn't been part of a conscious uh, Australian strategy or anything. We just, in both cases, really liked the IP that the companies um, that we acquired had developed. So uh, about a week before COVID, um, we closed the acquisition. So this would be you know March of uh, 2020. We closed the acquisition of a company called Revelion, which was really a leader um, out of Brisbane, Australia. They're a leader in game-based assessments. And as you mentioned, um, one of their game-based assessments is uh, called Emotify. And it's a really uh, inventive assessment, game-based assessment of emotional intelligence. 
And uh, that was partly about broadening our portfolio of assessments. We had uh, we had kind of had our eyes on uh, game-based assessments, had developed some of those uh, of our own because of the strong emphasis our customers have on on candidate experience. We thought game-based assessments were, were going to be a really good growth area. And emotional intelligence specifically was also an area that some of our customers were interested in. You're you're right that the science of EQ is not nearly as uh, clear-cut as um, you know, things like uh, aptitude assessments, which can really be effective across all industries and almost all roles. Um, EQ, the relevance of EQ is much more job specific. So there's a, a really good developing body of, of scientific research on EQ, and it shows that in certain positions, EQ is, is not really relevant at all, and not really a, a predictor at all. And in others, it can be quite vital. So um, not surprisingly, the positions where EQ seems to be more relevant and more of a predictor of long-term outcomes are those positions that involve a lot of social interaction, um, so managerial positions, um, uh, sometimes sales and customer service positions. EQ can be really relevant, whereas for others, um, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate to, to use it at all. So it's it's it is um, a, a an instrument that you'd want to be very selective about deploying uh, in terms of knowing that the role that you're assessing for um, is one where EQ uh, is a driver of, of performance. Um, we've, we've found also that there has been growing interest in EQ in, um, in the remote world. So I think, um, you know, the premium on having uh, managers, for example, with high EQ has, has kind of only gone up during COVID because in a uh, largely distributed or remote world, um, you know, it's it's much harder often to pick up on subtle cues. And, uh, you know, so when you talk to companies about combating burnout and fatigue in their remote workforces, um, EQ is often something that's top of mind for them. We we like to call it, um, you know, having the ability, managers having the ability to, to read the Zoom, right? Um, you know, to, to pick up um, even if it's just on a, a video chat with um, with issues that their their um, teams might be having, so it's an area that, that we're seeing growing interest in. Um, but it is uh, mostly used for certain roles, um, not universally for all roles. And you mentioned the second company that we acquired is much smaller, is also a startup out of uh, Sydney, Australia, and that is a, a video interviewing company called Alchemy that we acquired about uh, about a year ago. And video interviewing has obviously really increased in importance um, during COVID. So we've seen great growth in that business. And, um, you know, I think for me, the long-term trend that's interesting there is um, companies that are adopting uh, asynchronous uh, video interviewing. So sort of on-demand video interviewing at the top of the funnel where, you know, there'll be some recorded questions that, that companies have uh, applicants answer. Um, those kinds of video interviews, which are really growing in popularity, are, are very similar in terms of the use case um, to assessments. You know, the, the goal for customers using those kinds of tools is really the same. It's to get a top of funnel talent signal. So we see kind of a blurring of the category between video interviewing and assessments happen, happening where customers are really treating video interviews like an assessment. And so... Um, you know, we certainly weren't, aren't the only one to notice this trend. Some of our some of our competitors have also acquired video interviewing platform, but that was uh, that was one of the reasons we um, we acquired Alchemy was we thought there was increasing overlap between the the two categories, and uh, 
and that trend has been uh, confirmed with our customer base because they are they are adopting video interviewing uh, increasingly. Read the Zoom. I've never heard that before. That's very good. Very good. Um, so, just <laughs> continuing on with the with the acquisition of the of the the, the video hiring platform there. What what else would you say can can maybe be gained from virtual face to face screening options that you wouldn't have with more traditional uh, screening options, such as you know jumping on a call with someone and and just having having an, an audio chat like you and I are doing right now. Right, right. Well, I think one of the interesting things about um, video interviewing is that, um, you know, the research around interviewing, um, which, you know, basically everyone who hires does some form of interviewing, whether it's, you know, phone screens or, or uh, later stage in-person interviews or, or both. Um, and what all the research around interviewing shows is that structured interviews work much better and are much uh, less prone to introduce bias or much less subjective than unstructured videos. Uh, or excuse me, unstructured interviews. But unfortunately, almost every company um, are doing what are really unstructured interviews. Um, and, and there's a gap there. People think they're doing structured interviews because, you know, they think of some of the questions beforehand. But that's not really, you know, that's not really a structured interview. A structured interview um, really asks the same content, same questions to all the candidates and has some sort of uh, rigorous scoring system behind it. Uh, and the combination of those two things can really help remove subjectivity from from an interview. You know, there's a lot of really interesting research that shows that with in-person interviews, for example, um, a lot of the time uh, an interviewer has made up their mind, uh, you know, less than five minutes into the interviewer, into the interview. And uh, then once you're anchored around an impression of a candidate, which is too often based on things like, you know, how they're dressed, uh, what they look like. Um, you know, how, how smoothly the, the small talk goes. Um, none of those things are, of course, uh, related to employment outcomes long term, right? But they tend to uh, hold an outsized influence on the interviewer. Um, and once you get anchored around an impression, we know it's hard to, to move off that. So removing that subjectivity from the interview process should really be a, a main goal of all companies, um, whether you're using video interviewing or not. And one of the nice things about video interviewing is that it does allow you, whether you're doing it, you know, asynchronously at the top of funnel where it's not live, or even if you're doing it live, um, you know, over Zoom, for example, um, it does allow you to be a little bit more structured and to ask, you know, some of the same common uh, set of questions to, to all candidates and, and to score those, um, you know, more objectively. So uh, we think that that'll be a great advance for um, companies in general doing hiring if more companies incorporate more of that structured interview methodology. And video interviewing is, is one way to do that. Well, some people might say that assessments can actually put candidates off, Josh. And what we're going through at the moment, as I mentioned in, in the introduction, is a, a period of record resignations um and you know lots and lots and lots of uh, well frankly there, there aren't enough people to fill the positions that, that that's that's the reality and and if companies are looking to attract talent not even top talent necessarily but just any talent during the great resignation is it is it a bit of a worry to put another gateway another barrier to entry so to speak in in the, in the form of assessments i mean what, what's your take i mean i i appreciate 
I appreciate that you you run an organization based on assessments. Um, but but what's but what's your take on on why it's so vital to have something in place, even if it's just you know a five minute assessment? You mentioned earlier that above forty minutes uh, people drop off, but even if it's just a very short survey or assessment, what what are what are the key benefits? The, the two or three key benefits of doing that versus not doing anything at all. Yeah, so I, so I think you know we've we've spoken about some of the benefits to the employer, and that's that's certainly you know why we're able to sell our software, and and that's a central focus in terms of driving better outcomes long term around retention and productivity and um, and even diversity. Um, and and there there is quite a bit of uh, variance from from one industry to another. So in the U.S., we we do have a, a couple of industries now where there's such an acute labor shortage. I think of um, uh, logistics and transportation, for example, um, where companies are hiring drivers. Uh, where there's sometimes in some geographies there's not enough applicants to fill the roles. So there you've got a, a basic problem where any kind of you know, that's going to be a tough environment to sell any kind of selection device because what, what employers are really doing there is, is really a, a pulse test, right? <laughs> like if you have a pulse, you, you know, you can probably have a good chance of uh, being hired there. Um, but in most industries, what we're seeing is still um, pretty big applicant pools for, for roles, despite the overall tightness of the labor market. And, um, you know, when you look at the data around because we get asked this question quite quite a bit by by customers who are maybe new to assessments, and they'll say, "Well, won't I lose some some applicants when I implement this because it's a, an extra step in the process, or it's a potential friction point in the in the hiring funnel?" And the data really suggests otherwise, right? So the there when you do assessments, uh, when you properly position them, and when you don't do too much of them, um, and we mentioned the the time uh, factor earlier on. When you do it right, uh, you see very low drop-off rates. And in fact, uh, I think there's also a trend towards, you know, candidates realizing that this can be a more objective way, and and for some of them, a, a much better way um, of sort of sh- surfacing their their talent, of, of showing their their talent, than you know the the resume-based model. I think there's kind of a growing tide of um, on the part of some candidates of like collective exhaustion with that model of you know submitting your resume into the into the ATS abyss and 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 hoping for you know somehow a call, um, and there's also growing awareness about the problems with resumes from from both employers and and candidates. You know, resumes are overwhelmingly um, overweighting experience as a variable as a as a sort of gating criteria for employment. And we know that the amount of experience you have in a role is a pretty weak signal. There's lots of research that shows that. And it's also not good for um, recruiting diverse candidate pools, right, having experience requirements. So especially for early career job seekers, you know, a model that has years of experience at, at, the, at the front of it is going to be really bad for, for job applicants. Um, and so there's there's a kind of growing awareness that other ways to surface talent are more fair and equitable uh, than resumes are. And just finally for today, I, I'd, I'd love to know how our listeners can learn more about all the cool things happening over at Criteria, how they can connect with you, whether that's your, wanting to give your email address or LinkedIn or whatever it might be. By the way, I've sent you a connection request. Um, and uh, of course, I guess uh, every listener of today's show also wants to know the name of your puppy and what breed he or she is. 
uh, yeah, so uh, customers can can find out more. We produce a lot of great content, even if you're not uh, you know ready to to look at assessments or video interviewing uh, products. There's a lot of great content on our website around sort of removing bias from from your process and doing uh, objective data-driven hiring. So our website is just criteriacorp.com. So there's a lot of good content there. I'm on LinkedIn. People can find me there, Josh Millett on LinkedIn. Um, and my puppy is uh, is a rescue. So of course, we're not 100% sure, but uh, is definitely part uh, Australian cattle dog, um, which explains some of the barking. And uh, part, we think there might be some husky in there. So um, but yeah, he, he's, he's lovely. We've had him for a month. He's three months old. So, but it's, uh, it's kind of a second job at this point too. So I, I know you're familiar with that, Bill. <laughs> Good for you for going for a rescue. My last dog was a rescue. <laughs> um, uh, we, we got her when she was about four ish this time around. I, I wanted to go for the puppy phase. Um, however, I'd forgotten how difficult it is when they're a puppy. Eh? Oh my goodness me. Jeez, it, it really is. It's, it's like having a, a, a toddler again. And, uh, you know, we thought we'd outgrown <laughs> that stage, but we've, we have a third one now. So. <laughs> well, uh, I must be a glut of a punishment because we've also got a toddler. There we go. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, Josh, that just leaves me to say for, for, leaves me to say for today. Thank you so much. I've had a really enjoyable conversation with you today. This has been great. Thanks for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Of course. Thanks for having me, Bill. And listeners, as always, until next time. Happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.